1: First uh, occurred to me that this COVID nineteen uh, situation was a really big deal when the NBA suspended the season due to its first player testing positive. And I remember thinking then this might be a bigger deal than I had first thought. And then March Madness cancels, and then the Masters, and then spring break was extended a week. And here we are again and again. We see cancellations. We th- see things not going back to. Usual as we would hope. And if you told me we'd still not be worshiping in the same room two months later, I couldn't have imagined that. You remember when this seemed like it was just a nice break for a couple of weeks? That maybe we'd get our life back on track and then go back to normal. Well, we're realizing now it's not exactly that. I remember thinking, uh, I'm going to get so much done during this break. I'm going to get those house projects completed. I'm going to work on all those things at work that I want to get you know, working on that I never had the time to do. I'm going to eat well and exercise every day. I'm going to write a book and, you know, all those things, right, that we think, what am I going to do with this time? And perhaps you've done all those things and more, and if so, we're we're glad to hear that. I'm just trying to survive in a house with three kids, I'll be honest. But it got me thinking, what have people done throughout history when they've been stuck at home during a quarantine? And there's some examples, some of you may have read a little bit about this. In July of 1606, the bubonic plague hit the city of London. And for two years, William Shakespeare's theater company, the King's Men, shut the doors to the Globe Theater and locked their playhouse doors. They lowered the flag. And during this quarantine that they experienced, Shakespeare completed his great works, Antony and Cleopatra, Macbeth and King Lear. Putting us to shame, right? Nearly 60 years later, in 1665, another outbreak of the bubonic plague hit England. And at that time, a 20-year-old Isaac Newton was a student at Cambridge University. And when classes were canceled, he traveled 60 miles to his family estate to continue his work from home. Uh, He didn't have the Zoom calls and emails to keep up with professors exactly, but he continued his studies. And it was during that time that he wrote papers that would become the early theories of calculus And he developed the beginning of his theory of gravity. Plagues are are not the only reason that people have written or come up with incredible theories and ideas or written incredible works. In fact, prison has been one of the places where works have emerged from as well. For instance, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. While in a jail cell, Bunyan spent 12 years in prison because he refused the Church of England's ban on attending or leading religious gatherings of more than five people outside of the Church of England's doors. And so they put him in prison for that. And from prison, he wrote one of the great works of literature. As I referenced last week, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail. Calling on his white brothers and sisters to recognize the injustice that was taking place against African Americans in the South. It was written 57 years ago, but those words still ring true and still speak powerfully even to our current moment. But it's not all positive things that happen in prison. Uh, There's another famous book that was written from prison that was one of the most dangerous and lethal books ever written. The book was titled Mein Kampf. It was written by Nazi Party leader Adolf Hitler. It was the seed that grew into an ideology that would result in the deaths of over six million Jews just two decades later after his confinement. And yet, in the midst of that destruction and terror, the Nazis pursued against the Jews and other minority groups. There were other books that were written under Nazi occupation that were remarkable in their own right. Many of you have read The Diary of Anne Frank, written in the midst of uh, her own time of quarantine of sorts. The the stories in Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, took place as her family was uh, protecting and hiding Jews from the Nazis. The stories were written later, but they happened during that time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, was written while Bonhoeffer was leading an underground church, and an underground seminary for the German confessing church that stood up against the Nazi party in Germany at that time. See, quarantine can take the best out of you, can't it? My hope is, though, that we can realize that the church can still be at our best, and some of us may be producing and being more creative and seeing ways that we hadn't imagined before to use this time to be useful. Because my hope is over the past few weeks during this series called The Quarantine Church that you've seen these powerful writings of Paul as he writes these from house arrest in the city of Rome. These are some of his best work. See, Paul's not laying down during these two years. He's actually getting to work, caring for the churches uh, that he had under his leadership. And neither should we give up or lay down, no matter how long this quarantine may last. Let us pray as we open God's Word this morning together as a church family. Our Lord and our God, we have cried out this morning, how long, with the psalmist. Because there's a big part of us this morning that wants this to change, for things to go back to some sense of of normal. God, and it is not normal right now. And we'd like to think that we're in control of so many things in our lives, but this pandemic, this time is a reminder that we are not in control. And it's time for us to give up that sense of control to the one who is in control of all things. God, we don't believe that you sent this pandemic in any way, but we know you can work in all things for the good of those that love you and have been called according to your purpose. And so, God, we want you to know we're those who love you, And we're those who want to be called according to your purpose. And so will you work in our lives for some kind of good in the season? Will you work in our time and in our day for us to love our community in a way that they would, would want to know the reason for the hope that we have as your followers? So this morning, God, as we open to the book of Philippians together, this letter that was written in quarantine for Paul so many years before under house arrest, that the words that he penned from that house arrest would meet us in the midst of our houses and would inspire in us, God, through your spirit uh, a desire to be your people in this day and in this time and in this age. God, would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us hope? And Would you help us to love one another? We pray this morning and as a church family, uh, all of these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. In the middle of uh, the book of Philippians, Paul writes this letter and he writes within it uh, a, 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 a section in Philippians 2, 5-11 that many think was a hymn, a song that was actually composed before Paul includes it in the letter. Um, possibly this is one of those hymns that the church sang in that day. And Paul puts it in the middle of his letter, it's the middle of his theology, it's the solution to the problems he's writing to in this church in Philippi. And as Paul writes to this church that's experiencing conflict, he he reaches for this hymn, he puts it front and center, and he sings it or he composes it or he writes it. It's Paul's gospel, it's his good news. It's Paul's answer to the problem of division. It's what's rumbling around in Paul's head, maybe like you, the songs that you sang as children maybe coming back in the midst of wondering, uh, what does the future hold? So he's in chains in prison in Rome, and this song comes to him, and I want you to hear these beautiful words in this old hymn in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to sing it this morning. I don't know the tune, but I'll read it along with you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. These are words worth memorizing. Maybe we need a song in our own day to remind us of the power of these words. And these are words that sum up the good news of the gospel. These are words that Paul is writing to people who are familiar, likely, with this hymn. But he's reminding them that this has power in the midst of the life they're living out, and the problems and the struggles that they have. I think we have the same struggle today. There are hymns that we've sung for years that we forget the power of the words because we're so used to singing them. Like, like, it is well, we sang a moment ago, or others. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Just as I am, without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me. We know these words, many of us who've grown up singing these hymns, or maybe grandmothers that sang them to us. And yet, we can forget the power of them, can't we? We forget that they're actual words that are inspired, that They mean something powerful to us. And so Paul takes and resurrects this old hymn, and he puts it in the middle of this letter. And I think the same thing must have been true for that Philippian church. Maybe they forgot the power of what Jesus had done. So I want to break this hymn down for just a moment. So let me read again from Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, the beginning of the song. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now there's a a veiled reference there in those verses to a story all the way back in the beginning of the Scriptures. You hear the reference back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3? You can actually hear it more clearly in the English Standard Version of uh, Philippians 2, verse 6. Let me read it to you uh, there. It says, who though he was uh, in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did you catch it that time? In the book of Genesis, Eve reaches out, you remember, to this tree that she's not supposed to, and she grasps the fruit from a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Adam does the same. You see, we come from a long line of graspers, We come from a lineage of people who believe that satisfaction, abundance, pleasure, enjoyment, and contentment are just within our grasp. And so we grasp. We grasp for relationships that will fill our empty stomachs. We we grasp for wealth to fill our empty souls. We grasp for the corner office in order to fill us up. We grasp for idols to fill the empty places in our lives. And yet even in our grasping, we remain empty. Yes, we come from a long line of graspers, which makes me wonder, this week, what have you been grasping for? In the midst of your emptiness or your lack of control that you feel, we have these common things that we reach for, don't we? We grasp onto them, we hold onto them, even though they failed us so many times before, we reach for those things thinking if we can just grab it again, then maybe we would have a sense of control or maybe we would have a sense of joy for a moment, even though those idols that we grasp often take more than they give. Did it work this week? Has it ever worked? But along comes Jesus, whom Paul calls us to imitate. Jesus isn't one who grasped. Instead, he let go. He made himself nothing. He, He became a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the cross. How many of you are... are are grasping on to something in the midst of your uncertainty right now. It's natural to grasp when things are uncertain. But Paul, who is in prison, knows uncertainty. And he reminds the Philippians uh, and us this morning that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're not graspers, not the people of God. And Paul models this well, actually, himself. He calls his own story to account in Philippians chapter 1, a passage I read a few weeks ago that I want to read again. Listen to the way he's letting go of his life. Listen to the way he's not trying to hold on to things. This is Philippians 1, verse 20 and following. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have uh, sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, Paul's not grasping to preserve his life in the midst of his imprisonment and the coming trial he's going to face. He's okay with death. In fact, he says it's even better. I get to go live with Jesus. It's preferable. The only reason he chooses to go on living is so that he can continue to serve others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his own life, Paul is trying to show an imitation to say, I'm following Jesus and I want you to follow my example. He's not grasping to live a long life. He is laying down his life as a sacrifice for others. And Part of the reason that Paul has such confidence is because of the promise made in that hymn in Philippians chapter 2 about what God did for Jesus. What comes next in those verses provides hope for all of us about the promise that's ahead for those in Jesus Christ. Listen to this in, in verses 9 through 11, the other part of the story. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it say there? It tells the story that, yes, Jesus died on a cross, but God exalted him to the highest place. God raised him from the dead. And in the same way, what God did for Jesus is the promise for all of us. It's the promise that gives Paul courage to live a sacrificial life. So there's no reason for any of us to to grasp. Because the God of the universe has already given us a promise to the King Jesus himself. And that's why we ought to stop doing things out of selfish ambition. As Paul talks about the beginning of chapter 2. Look to the interest of others, not to your own interests. There's no need for us to grasp. I wish I had the time to go through every verse in this book. I actually preached through this series in Philippians a, a few summers ago uh, here at Greenville Oaks. I enjoyed so much that time. And I would encourage you to go back and read it later this week with the time you have. It's a great book. But I want to focus in, uh, in, in my next part of this message on chapter 4. Before I shut this series down, this is the final week of this quarantine church series. At the beginning of chapter 4, we discover the problem that Paul has been trying to solve in this letter. See, Paul writes Philippians backwards. (laughs) Instead of letting us know the problem and then solving that problem, Paul actually starts with the solution and then lets us know what the problem is in chapter 4. So the Christ hymn is the solution. What's the problem? Let's read in Philippians 4 verses 1 and following. He writes, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Awkward moment, right? Let me set the scene for you. It it looks like Epaphroditus has gone from Philippi, and they've sent Epaphroditus, the Philippian church, to Paul in Rome in order to deliver some uh, gifts and also to just check in and get his advice on some things that are going on in the church. Chapter 2 tells us about Epaphroditus and about the conflict that comes up. And I imagine Epaphroditus saying, you know Euodia and Syntychea? You know, these two women that have been co-workers with you in the Lord, they're having problems. We don't know what the problem is exactly. So Paul writes this letter. He hands it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus takes it back to the church in Philippi. And and all of a sudden, everyone in Philippi, these Christians, they gather together excited because Epaphroditus says, I've got a letter from Paul. And so they all gather together and they're all in the same building, which we'd like to do. And and this letter is read. Everyone's in the church, including Euodia and Syntyche. And so the letters read in front of the entire church. Now, my dad called me out a few times for passing notes in the, in the front section where the youth group sat when he was preaching, and that was awkward enough. But at least, uh, at least none of that was preserved in Scripture for everyone to read for the next 2,000 years and beyond. We don't know exactly what this conflict was, but Paul's not going to let any of this problem between these two women who are leaders in the church that are co-workers with him to divide this church. He's addressing it head on. These two women contended at Paul's side for the cause of the gospel and his message to them is this. He says, Euodia and Syntyche and everyone else for that matter, be of the same mind in the Lord. Which sounds a whole lot like that hymn we mentioned earlier, right? Verse 5. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Look to the interest of others. Humble yourselves. See, Paul starts with a solution the Christ him to say this is how Jesus interacted. He laid down his interest. He died at the cross. God raised him up, and he's trying to say the same thing to these two women, Euhodia and Syntyche, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, have the same mind as one another. And maybe for us in our church in this time, there's A realization that there are some conflicts that need to get sorted out. Maybe in your household right now or in your family, these things are rising to the surface. The encouragement of Scripture, the encouragement of Paul who's writing from house arrest is, let your mindset be the same as Christ Jesus. Have the same mind as one another. Learn to come together. As we close this sermon in this series, The Quarantine Church, I want to close this time by reading Paul's final words in this book. I want you to imagine that you've had the chance to see Paul and a video of him writing this message to the Philippian church. Can you picture it? Paul's in house arrest. He's writing this and there's a camera that is able to see what he's doing and see the guard who's next to him that's chained sees the chains on his wrists as well. But all of a sudden in the middle of this video that's being filmed, he breaks the fourth wall and he looks right into the camera, right at you at home, right at us. These four letters have a lot To teach us. But I'm not sure anything in the prison epistles speaks to us in our situation as clearly as these verses in chapter 4 that I want to read now. So imagine that with me, Paul looking at us as he reads these words Philippians 4, verse 6 and following. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace will be with you. Remember, he's looking at us as he's sharing these words, these relevant words. But don't worry, uh, you don't have to respond to him. I'm going to do the talking for us as he is looking at us, okay? Paul says, don't be anxious. And so I say to Paul, oh, Paul, how in the world am I supposed to be non anxious in the middle of a pandemic? Paul says, well, just pray about it. Like, let God know about what your concerns and worries are. Leave them in his hands. And then I say, Paul, that's great. But what do you do when you've prayed and you're still anxious? And he says, well, just focus on the good things. Focus on the things that are true and noble and right and pure and admirable and trustworthy, excellent and praiseworthy. That's why I reply, are you preaching out of the power of positive thinking? Just think happy thoughts, be like Tinkerbell, like what is this wisdom you're giving? And then Paul, with a grin, he lifts his wrists to show the chains that are holding him down, that bind his hands, And and I realize he's not naive about his advice at all when he does that, and then he continues with those chains raised in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Just imagine, again, him breaking that fourth wall and reading that to you with his chains up, he says, this through him who gives me strength. And when you read verse 13 in context, in the middle of a quarantine, it sounds completely different than some triumphant text that tells us we can do anything and all things through the power of God. It's a powerful passage. Paul is in prison. Paul is in chains. Can you imagine the, the link between those chains? He can't get out of chains. He is under watch day and night. And he looks into the camera with his chains. In full view. And he reports with verses 12 and 13. So let me read this again to you. And Just imagine those changes. Paul raises these to us to remind us of the situation he's in. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. For those of us who consider ourselves as followers of Jesus, we come from a long line of graspers. But Paul reminds us that there is a secret to contentment. There's a way you can live where you can find hope and peace in the midst of awful circumstances. And I sometimes wonder that if Paul had the the opportunity to write a letter to the church in Allen, Texas at 703 South Greenville Avenue, what would he read? What would he write to us? And when I read the Christ hymn, when I think about learning to be content no matter the circumstance, I realize there's nothing under the sun. And if he had the chance, well, he might just give us a 2,000-year-old letter and let the Spirit do the Spirit's work. Let's pray together as we close this time in the message. Father, I thank you for the example of Paul that we've read about over the last five weeks as a congregation. I thank you that it wasn't people who were in perfect situations with perfect families, with perfect health records that write these stories as if everything's good in the world and it's perfect and you just need to trust God more. No, you write to these incredibly broken and and, and people with full sin histories, God. Paul had been a part of murdering people. Paul had denied Jesus Christ at one point in the story as Lord. Paul was in chains. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd gone through all of these beatings and all of these awful situations. And it means something when Paul says, I've learned to be content even in this. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. He was speaking not just to scoring touchdowns or the triumphant ways we sometimes read that passage, but he was saying, I've learned to be in house arrest. I've learned to be apart from the mission and the people that I love most, but I can still write to Uodi and Syntyche and say, have the same mind is Christ Jesus. God, and I know in a church like ours, in a community like ours, there are people that are really hurting right now. They're needing hope, they're needing a sense that someone's in control, even if there's a realization that we are not, who are struggling for contentment, fighting for peace right now, as we talked about last week. So God, my prayer right now, in the midst of all those who are worshiping this morning and are hearing my voice, my prayer is that you would provide peace that passes all understanding to each and every home that's worshiping with us. And God, help us to uh, present our requests to you, our petitions, with thanksgiving, with gratitude for all the gifts and blessings we do have. And God, help us more than anything in the midst of our cries of how long to confess, like Paul, that we can do all of this through Christ who strengthens us. That we can learn to be content even in circumstances such as these. May that be a testimony to the world around us of the oddity of our faith and the power of the Spirit that's at work in our lives. We pray this prayer in the power of Jesus Christ and in His name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.